0: Well, uh, one of the other reasons that we went to the UK for the last couple of weeks was to take a moment to catch breath and to ask the Lord what he's up to and what he might want to do next in the life of our church. And you'll probably know if you're in any form of leadership, it's really important sometimes just to be able to step back and and really try and observe what's going on uh, around you. And I'm not someone who, who generally gets like really big and impressive visions and pictures for things. But as we were flying to the UK, I just felt the Lord give me a kind of very unusual picture for the life of vintage, which I wanted to share with you. Um, and it was a picture of a, of a big sailing yacht. I've got a picture of one up here on the screen. There it is. Um, that's called a maxi. And I grew up on this, well, just was born on this little island off the south coast of England. And it's where the round-the-world yacht races start. And, and one of those is a 60-foot sailing yacht, which if you ever see one in harbour, it's, it's not that impressive. It's quite, quite big. But if you ever get a chance to see one out in the open ocean, it's one of the most beautiful sights you can ever see. As the wind blows across the bows of these kind of ships and fills its sails as the boat reaches in the ocean, it is just astonishing to watch. And I felt the Lord give me that as a picture for, for us at Vintage. And I, I could see in, in my mind's eye as I was praying, I, I could see the last three years. I could see this boat as it had taken shape. Firstly, it had been in a dry dock, and the hull had been formed from a mould and you know, the basic structure had been put together. But then the boat had gone actually out into, into the water. And unlike probably a real boat being built, it had been built as it started its voyage out into the harbour. I could see the mast going up. I could see the sails being rigged. I could see crew members coming on board and finding their places. But if you've ever sailed, you know that some of the hardest bits of sailing is actually when you set off through the har- from the harbour or-, or right close to the shore because the water's quite shallow because there's quite a lot of other vessels around because it can be quite choppy where the waves crash on, on the shore. And I could see that th- this boat, our church, had-, had had to navigate through a lot of choppy waters through its first li- years. We'd had to figure a lot of stuff out. We'd had to change direction a lot as we've been through the pandemic. But I could also see that the ship wasn't there anymore. The yacht was further out into the bay. And in the bay, it was deeper. It was beautiful. The boat could head in a straight line. But, but I could also see that it wasn't that windy. If you've ever sailed in a, in a bay which is sheltered by a headland, you'll know that actually the whole point of having inhabitants and dwelling in boats there is because it's a bit sheltered from the full force of the wind. And I could see that we were still yet to pass a big headland and The big headland had various words, I think, written on it for the life of the church relating to this summer. But the soon we were going to pass through it, and I, and I just felt what, what the Lord wanted us to know was that we were about to move into a new season, a season where the full force of the wind would come to blow through the life of the church. And to be honest, I was a little bit freaked out by that. <laughs> I was like, "Lord, are we ready?" Because I felt what the wind represented was the force of the Holy Spirit in the life of the church you know, when the Holy Spirit comes to fully work in a community of people, it's quite, quite a big thing. You see people saved, you see lives being transformed, you see people being healed. And I felt the Lord say to me, Ben, are you, are you ready? Are you ready for, for what is to come? Now, you know, I'm, I might be wrong. Uh, I may have just eaten too much cheese on the flight. But, but it felt to me like this was something that, that God wanted to say. And so today uh, and over the next weeks, I wanted to take a little bit of time with you to talk about the vision and the values for Vintage. I wanted to kind of give that captain's speech for, for this is who we are and this is where we're going to be going and not so much there are the life rafts, get off, but, but find, let's find our places for what the Lord wants to do at Vintage. And so today we're, we're going to talk um, about a, a vision for Vintage Church Pasadena. And you know vin, uh, that uh, visions are so, so important in life, aren't they? You'll know that if you're a leader in any capacity or pretty much in every space because a vision does a number of really important things. The first thing is, is, a vision tells you where it is that you're going. Whether you're sailing or running an organization, that's a really helpful thing to be able to know. A vision also helps you to find your place within a big story. You know who you are if you know where the big thing's going. But the third thing that happens is that a vision holds the thing together. I don't know if you've ever observed some of the, the greatest sports teams here in LA, we're kind of blessed with some good sports teams at the moment. Whether you watch Lakers or Rams or Dodgers or LAFC or many of the other wonderful teams that exist, have you ever thought, like, how is it that this really diverse, mixed-up group of people from often different nations, different languages, different backgrounds, probably different views about most things can come together on a sports field, on a pitch, on a court and work in such incredible unity together that it almost—it looks like you're watching one thing and that they can win. And I think the way the psychologists tell us that that works is because the team has a vision. The team knows exactly what it needs to do and everything that it has is geared around working toward the one thing that it's trying to do, score goals, points, runs, win a game. And I think the same is absolutely true in other places of life too. And it's so true in in a Christian context. If you look at the life of the early church in the book of Acts, you see the same thing. You see these groups of people from totally different backgrounds, who definitely should not have socialized together, who should definitely not have hung out and eaten together. You see slaves and free, you see women, you see men together, you see young and you old, you see Jews and you see Gentiles. And when the outside world looked at that early church, they were like, we don't know what to call this. We don't know how this works, because in every other space of society, these people shouldn't be in a room together. Well, we better give them a name, Because it doesn't fit into any box. I know, let's call them Christians. And that's how Christians got their names. Vision brings unity. And I saw it uh, when we were out in Mexico a couple of months ago uh, on our first missions trip, and we're going again next month. So if you haven't yet signed up to come and join Team Chase and some of the others, we're going to be down in Mexico bringing wonderful good news of Jesus uh, across the border. But one of the things I saw when I was there was I saw these two pilots and they came from LA. They lived in a similar area to one another, not, not around here. But, but over, the, over the course of the four days we were there, I, I watched them become really, really good friends. Like they just seemed to have such a good time with each other. And separately though, I, I sort of quizzed them. I was like, oh, where do you live and what do you do during the day? And you know, what church do you go to? And I realized that these two, two guys actually lived like a couple of miles from each other. But it'd be fair to say that they were quite significant leaders in churches that during the pandemic had different views from one another. Let's just like, you know what I mean, right? They, they just they didn't quite see eye to eye on everything. And so I thought, wow, well, how can these two people be in the room together? Like these people would generally not like associate with one another. And yet not once across the four days did I see any hint of animosity of argument and debate. And of course, it was for that same exact reason. They knew why they were there. They were there to bring people safely in and out of the country. They were there to bring the good news of Jesus. They were to bring, there to bring healing and transformation to the people of Mexico. And that's the idea that I want us to talk about this morning, the idea of having a vision that could hold us in all our diversity for the years to come. Now, the good news is, is for churches, we don't have to make a vision up from scratch. We don't have to go away and just pretend like we know what we're doing and come up with some great, grand ideas. Because fortunately, we're all about Jesus. And Jesus was really kind to us in that he gave the church, the global church, a vision for what it was meant to be. And it centers on Jesus's mission, the things that Jesus Jesus wanted the church to be all about on the earth. And the very last words that Jesus ever gave us in Matthew 28 are what we're going to read this morning. Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20. So if you've got your Bibles uh, in front of you, or if not, it'll be on the screens. Matthew 28, 16 to 20. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Go, Jesus says, and make disciples of all nations. And so at the end of last year, when we were putting together the legal documents for Vintage Church Pasadena, if you write bylaws for a nonprofit, you have to write, what does this thing exist for? We tried our very best to summarize what we could out of what Jesus said to us. And this was what we came up with for a vision for Vintage Church Pasadena. This is just the summary, but I hope we can read it all together. You don't have to read the word mission, but hopefully you can see it. The rest. Okay, together. To see God's kingdom come to our communities through making disciples who live as whole life followers of Jesus. That's what we felt like the God said we are for, like all churches are for. And we unpacked it with six beautiful statements, which you'll have to wait till next week and the week after to see, which just caught my heart again this week. And I was like, oh, that's exactly the kind of ministry I hope that we get to be as a church. I don't know if you noticed in Jesus' words, there's there's a particular word that's right in the middle of there that that crops up. And it's the word disciple. And the word disciple is kind of an interesting word. It's not it's not like a word we, we use in a lot of life anymore, I guess. Maybe we might translate it for like the word Christian. But just just for a moment, and maybe a few people can shout out over the noise of the fans if you can do it. What's a Christian? What's a Christian? What are some of the kind of concepts that, that spring to mind when you think about the definition of a Christian? It's not a trick question. It's like, this must be a trick. Follower of Christ, Christ. Any more? Somebody loves, people. Somebody loves people. Interesting, cool. All right, anything else? Believer literally came from heaven at the back somewhere i have no idea where that came from wonderful it's brilliant isn't it we when we talk about christian often it it does seem like it's something you believe right it's something that you hold to be true it's a religious set of of ideas about faith about how things work and who god is and our relationship to him and of course that's that's great and everything we all just said was was true but it's interesting that the first followers of Jesus weren't called Christians, they were called disciples. And the word disciples is actually just a little bit different if you unpack it. Because the word disciple, well, it, it comes from the same root as the word discipline. It's actually the same word in, in the original language as, as the word um, apprentice. To apprentice oneself toward something, to live towards something, to act towards something. And specifically, to grow towards something not through theory, but actually by doing something, by going out towards something. Sort of like this idea that if you have something that's in your heart, something that you believe, something that you know in your mind to be true, what an apprentice does, what a disciple does, is that they take that theoretical stuff, the heart stuff, and then they start to work it out into every area of their life by, by doing it. That if you find someone who's, who's like a mature disciple, the idea is that it's supposed to, like have t- they're supposed to have taken the stuff that was deep inside their hearts and it's supposed to have gone to every part of their body. Like blood pumps oxygen to the ends of our limbs. And the idea is that you might find blood in the end of your fingers. It's the same idea if, if you're a disciple, that the idea is that you know, if you're supposed to be able to see the life of Christ in every part of who we are. Because that thing has gone from being just theory to being practice in every part of we are, that if you were to find the life of a disciple and you were to look at their fingers, you know, what they do maybe with their, with their abilities and their skills, you'd find the life of Jesus. Or if you looked at, you know, their, their, their legs and, and how they use their time and their talents and where they're going with their life, you would see everything of the life of Jesus. If you look at their minds and the things they think about, their mouths, the things that they speak about, their ears, the things that they're hearing, you know, their shoulders, and every part of who they are. The idea of discipleship is that you would see the practices, the life, the physical movement of Jesus going through who they are. See, the Christian is a disciple. To be a Christian is not just a theoretical religious viewpoint. It's a whole way of being a new person. When Jesus called those first followers, he didn't say, hey guys, i got some things for you to believe. He said, I've got a whole new life for you. Leave the old one behind and follow me. So to be a follower of Jesus, to be a church, is to be a community that makes disciples. But it's really interesting that Jesus doesn't stop right there because we might be okay with that bit. Oh yeah, I'm going to be a disciple. You're going to disciple me. Wonderful. That's what I like. But actually what Jesus says of to be a disciple is not just to receive discipleship, but it's actually to be a discipler of other people. Disciples, Jesus says, disciple. The Christian life is one of being discipled, but also of discipling others. You and I aren't actually supposed to be cul de sacs of brilliant discipleship where we go, Great, I've done it. Actually, the way that we do it, the way that we learn, the way that we grow, the way that we become the disciples that Jesus always called us to be, was to be involved in discipleship of other people. You know, it's like, Well, hold on, like Ben, you know, you're the pastor. Like, we literally pay you to disciple us. This is your job, and you're palming off on us. It's not fair. But if you look through the Bible, that's exactly how how it works. Israel was called a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. Look at Jethro and Moses, Elijah and Elisha, Jeremiah and Barak, Naomi and Ruth, Eli and Samuel, David and his mighty men. The New Testament, Jesus goes and finds 12 people and disciples them, and then 72 people, and what do they do? They explode discipleship across the whole globe. When Paul is writing to a church in a town called Colossae, Colossians 1, he says, we together proclaim Jesus, warning, teaching everyone, everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. I labor for this. I strive with his strength that works powerfully in me. And then when Paul's writing to his young apprentice, Timothy, he says, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit to other faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Throughout the Bible, there is this common theme that we are to be a community that grows together by discipling each other. Over a hundred times in the Bible, you hear phrases like disciple one another, build one another up, speak the truth to one another, comfort one another, exhort one another. If you look at those very first followers of Jesus, when he found them fishing and doing a terrible job of it, Simon, Peter, and his brother, Andrew, what did he say to them? Come, follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people. We are not just the disciples, but we are supposed to be, called to be, those who bring transformation and life to others. Now, you may come back at me and go, that's fine, Ben, but like, that's okay if you're like a guru level mature Christian who has got their gold badges by you know 50 years of service to a church or something. I don't know, but like me, me, I'm just I'm just figuring stuff out. Like I'm, I have so many doubts. I got so many fears. I got so many questions that I don't know the answers to. Like it's, I'm not, I'm I'm nowhere near ready to disciple anyone else. I'm I'm still like at like step one of needing like hundred years of discipleship first. But do you notice? These first disciples, what Jesus said to them, right, they've just gone through the three years crash course, Jesus has died, he's risen again, he's standing right in front of them. It says in verse 17, when they saw him, they worshipped him. Like, yeah, that's an appropriate response. King of the universe, standing in front of you, worship him, great, well done. But some doubted. Like, are you kidding me? It's like Jesus is in front of you and you're yet doubting him in front of you. The first disciples did not have it all together. Read the Gospels, they're a mess. But yet, what does Jesus say? You grow by being part of this unfolding drama of kingdom-building story by bringing the good news of Jesus to others, to disciple others. If you wanted to grow this year, church, and I hope you do, then you're going to grow most effectively and fastest when you actually practice what you know to be true by bringing the discipleship you've learned to other people. So what does that that mean? I mean, what does it actually mean to disciple someone else? I mean, I don't know about you, but people don't literally stop me on the side of the road and say, hey, you look wise, tell me everything. What does it mean to be a discipler of other people? Well, let's look at this great commission together. There's three words. The first one is teaching, which is, if you want, it's like the what. It's the what of discipleship. You know, where the wherever we were go, we don't know anything. Nobody needs to know what we have in our hearts because it's a bit of a mess and we're not quite sure. Do you notice what it is that Jesus actually calls the disciples to do? He calls them to teach Jesus. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. See, in that, in that time, rabbis would, would be self-appointed people who would you know, gather these young apprentices around themselves and they'd teach them all their worldly wisdom. And then when the the young apprentices felt like they knew what they were doing, they would stand up and they would call themselves rabbis, and then they would get more people to come around them. But that's not what the early church did. The early church were extremely clear all the way through that it was not about gathering people to be disciples of ourselves. That's a terrible idea. It's about calling people to be discipled to Jesus. Jesus. That it's always about Jesus. It's actually no problem at all that you don't know the answer to all the questions in life. I don't either. But Jesus does. That contained in the words of Jesus in the Bible are everything that we need for life. Don't teach yourself, teach Jesus. But not even just teaching Jesus. Because that's maybe even beyond where some of us might be. Practice Jesus. Jesus practice Jesus the whole idea of discipleship is it's not supposed to be just words and head knowledge it's supposed to be about everything that you have in your life teach them to obey everything I have commanded you Jesus himself said on the Sermon on the Mount Matthew 7 everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock who's a wise man Someone who puts the words of mine into practice. James 1, don't merely listen to the word and deceive yourself. Do what it says. The whole idea of discipleship is we're supposed to live something out. And as we live something out in a world, the idea is that everyone around us is supposed to go, oh, there's something different there. There's something about the way that those guys love. There's something about the way that they use their time or their energy or their money, the way that they use their language. There's something about them which is different to us and there's something that points not to themselves. It's not that they're amazing but they seem to live for something else. Like I wonder what that is and I wonder how we can find out more. So it's about pointing people not to us but to Jesus. The second word is the word baptizing which maybe is like the where. Where? the where of discipleship. Now, you know, we could talk long about the theology of baptism. We haven't got time to do it today in great detail, but I would just say, if you want to be a disciple of Jesus and you've never been baptised, please come and see me. We need to get you baptised because it's not an option. It's part of, the, part of what it means to follow Jesus. But baptism does a number of different things in the life of the church. Tim Keller writes, the Great Commission is a call not just to make disciples, but it is to baptise in Acts and elsewhere. It's clear that baptism means incorporating into worshiping community, into a worshipping community with accountability and, and boundaries. When, when someone gets baptised, what, what they're actually primarily doing is, is they're, they're saying, inwardly, I want to follow Jesus. And outwardly, we want to tell the world that's my truth. But amazingly, what happens when we do that is we say to the world, I'm following Jesus. The church says to us, welcome in, welcome home. The the, the movement of discipleship is actually primarily toward the church. It's toward the community. Jesus says like the church, and I don't mean old buildings, I mean the community of people is the greenhouse of where discipleship is supposed to happen. Now, of course you can disciple someone over Zoom to some extent on the other side of the world. But the whole purpose of the church is to be a witness to Jesus Christ by being this community of people which is living out the discipleship of Jesus Christ. Like It's only in the community of life and love of church where you find the care and the encouragement. And the teaching and the accountability and the support and the friendship and all the things that you actually need to germinate and grow and to disciple others. When we're discipling others, we are actually saying, even though it's like unpopular to say it, we want you to come. Like we want you to be part of this. Because we want you to experience the beautiful things we have and we want to share with you as a community the beautiful things that have changed our lives. You know, when someone says to me, like, I'm I'm done with church, like I'm good with Jesus, he's cool. Church, I'm out inwardly like I go like this are you kidding me it's like are you kidding me like I know churches can suck sometimes not ours ever no (laughs) but but you know what the church is not an optional extra like saying I'm going to follow Jesus and be a disciple of his without anyone around you is like basically being the person who's going to take on the Taliban by themselves it's like it's nuts You need a whole community of people around you and part of who we are, this is our vision, is to be a people who are growing all the time as we bring more and more people into the story of faith and are baptizing them into the name of Jesus and encountering the power of Jesus and seeing the salvation of Jesus come in their lives so that they would find the healing of Jesus and be transformed. That's who we are. I mean, even as you look around this morning, and I promise I'm really not about old buildings, but you might spot an empty seat near you maybe if you look up in the balconies you'll see a lot because this building seats like 1200 people now just just look at the seat that you can see near you here's a vision for you that that seat would be full now you're going ah he's the mega church guy i'm like no i'm not i'm not the mega church guy but this morning as we gather here a couple hundred of us the great majority of those in the greater Pasadena area, particularly young people, are not being discipled by Jesus. They're not being discipled by anyone related to Jesus. Maybe they never have been. Maybe they once were, but they aren't anymore. They might be being discipled by Netflix. They might be being discipled by The Mall. They might be being discipled by social media. They'll be being discipled by many different things, but they aren't being discipled by Jesus. And so when I say, like, I dream that this place would be bursting from the rafters and that we would plant many more churches out of Vintage Church Pasadena in the years to come, I'm not saying we need to be rich and famous. What I'm saying is that that's who we are because we're about life transformation, church. This isn't just about us. Being in a big old church building is actually kind of dangerous because it makes it feel like it's just about us. It's about everyone out there. It's why we exist, to be here. And then the final thing is, is that about the word going. Go and make disciples of all nations. It'd be super nice, wouldn't it, if discipleship just happened. <laughs> when you're way home today, someone just comes, hey, could I just become a Christian? That would be great. I, you know, tell me everything you know. That'd be really brilliant. I'd love that to happen. It doesn't happen very often. Instead, what Jesus says to this early church is, go, go. On your way, off you go. Go look for opportunities to bring the good news of Jesus to bear wherever you are. Jesus, in fact, he says in Matthew's gospel, he says the harvest is plentiful. I.e. like they're ready, but the workers are few. The workers are few. The problem isn't the harvest. The problem is that we're not going anywhere with the good news of Jesus. So ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest field. You know, discipleship happens in many forms, but, but it, it's not on the professionals. It's not on those who have certain qualifications. It, it, it's on who we are. And, and the beautiful invitation to Jesus to us is, if you want to grow, then you need to engage inside the church and outside the church in, in discipleship. You know, I said to our teams this morning, I was like, guys, you know, when you, when you greet someone at the door here, well when you, you cash in all your social chips and you bring someone to the Great Vintage Fair or Alpha, that's discipleship, because you're inviting people into the story of faith. I mean, think for a minute, like, who is it who told you about Jesus? Maybe it was a pastor. By birth, a bunch of us could say, it was a friend. It was a mom, it was a dad, it was a sister, it was a brother, it was a colleague was somebody who just took a risk to bring the good news of Jesus to, to you. We are invited into that discipleship story, whether we do it through youth work and kids work, whether we do it through being a community leader, whether we do it by being out on the streets with our homeless community. You know that last week, someone gave their life to Jesus right on the street corner because our teams went out and they shared the good news of Jesus and so someone right there did it. That's amazing, right? Whether we do it through Alpha, these are the invitations of us to get up, to get out, to get on. With the work of jesus in the world but it's it's a joyful thing i mean it probably scares us a bit but it's such an invitation it's such a blessing it's an invitation into a whole new radical kingdom way of being a human being what the early church found was that it's actually full of fun luke 10 when when jesus had called the 12 together he gave them power and authority to drive out demons, to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom and heal the sick. It says they went out. And then the next chapter, he takes the 72 and he does the same with them. He sends them out into to the community. And I love what happens next because it, it says in verse 17, that the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. They came with joy because they realized discipleship, evangelism, sharing our faith with others is not chore. When you see the kingdom come in someone's life, it's the biggest, biggest privilege. We, um, we were in London. We, we went to this, this big conference thing. And to be honest, I, I thought we were going to be there for four days and not really know anyone. I had this secret idea of having a nice, quiet family break with keeping a low profile and we walked across this massive great old airfield where everyone was camping for the first time. And like, we just bumped into someone the, straight away. And it was a young person, it was someone who I, I'd, I'd been their youth leader like 20 years ago. And they said, oh Ben, I just, just wanted you to know that, like, like I'm, I'm still going for it with Jesus. You know, like that was just an amazing experience in our youth group and, and it just set me up and now I'm a doctor in an inner city and, and we're, just, we're just going for it with Jesus. And then we walked a little bit further and I bumped into someone else and they're like, oh yeah, Ben, yeah, thank you for being my youth leader like 10 years ago or whatever it was, 15 years ago. Oh, you know, you, you, know, you, you just really helped us and, and now I'm running Alpha in my church. And another person said, oh, when I was a kid in your kids' ministry like a long, long time ago and, and, and now I'm a missionary to the other side of the world. And, and all these stories just kept going on like over and over and over again all throughout the week. And I thought, this is nuts. Like, because all I remember of all of those encounters was me being a complete mess. I remember me being tired and grumpy and being really angry that I had to show up week after week to look after these teenagers who didn't really wanna be there and have any interest in it. And yet every single one of them went, oh, you, you, you stuck with me. And At first I thought, oh, that's nuts. And then I thought about the person who led me to faith in Jesus, which is a guy called John. And you know, John, he was a, he was a youth leader in my church and when I was growing up and I was like 12 or 11 or something and I hated church. I thought it was awful. Wanted to play football, didn't want to go to church. And he was just a volunteer guy. He liked cars. I liked cars. Ran a business. And so when I didn't want to go to church, he'd like pick me up on an evening and we'd just like drive around in his nice car and we'd talk about nothing very important as far as I remember. But what I do remember is that he loved me. What I do remember is he discipled me. What I do remember is he cared for me. And what I do now, every time I see him, and I talk to him a couple of weeks ago, say is, John, I have followed Jesus. Because you loved me, and you cared for me, and you discipled me. And he's 30 years on, he's still doing it, he's like 70 years old. Church, this is the vision for who we are called to be. This thing, Vintage Pasadena, is not just a cozy huddle that we get to do on a Sunday morning. We are a community that is called to become disciples, to grow as disciples, and to go as disciples into the world. I believe that the Lord has put us right here in the heart of the city because he has something for us to do that will bring transformation to lives. But it's not going to be just me or just a few of us. It's about a call for all of our lives. To make disciples, to grow as disciples, to go as disciples. So shall we stand and pray?